E-S-N-Y. July 9th, uh, definitely enjoying some of the good weather, it's been super, super hot outside, but definitely pumped to get back and um, do this pod with you guys again. Uh, as always, you know I'm rolling with Chip Murphy, uh, we have Alex Trataros from Hoops Habit as well, I think this is like probably his third, maybe fourth appearance within the last week and a half, so uh, always good to have the, the dude on as well. And uh, we have a first time guest. A uh, guy that I love his writing for Nick's Wall, very talented writer, Brendan Campbell. Brendan, how's it going, man? How are you doing? Hey, Jeff. How's it going, guys? Thank you so much for having me on. Big fan of HAA. Uh, ready to get going here. Absolutely, man. Um, and so we were talking offline. We wanted to try and figure out you know, a decent topic uh, for the pod tonight. Uh, there's plenty of news uh, regarding the restart. We're, we're still hoping everything goes goes on as planned. Um, and we started to think about teams that have the most to lose, you know, going into the restart, there's eight games, there's going to be playoff seeding games. Uh, there's a lot that's going to happen. And depending on what shakes out in the postseason, uh, teams could look very different next year. Uh, coaching staffs could look very different next year and who knows, right? Uh, but, but with every off season comes usually a good amount of turnover, especially sometimes with contending teams as well. So we kind of wanted to look at, okay, who has the most to lose if they don't necessarily perform well um, during this restart? So we have a couple of teams for you. It it was tough to narrow it down to just four, um, and we might talk about some kind of like honorable mentions afterwards as well. Uh, But we're going to have the guest lead us off here, Brendan. Uh, Give us your team with the most to lose. And these are not in any particular order. These are just teams that we were kind of interested in we wanted to talk about. So I went with the Utah Jazz. I mean, usually when there's only eight games left in the regular season, the only interesting storyline is like how hard are the Pistons going for the eighth seed in the East? So uh, I went with the Jazz just because there's there's a lot going on on the court and off the court when they get down to Orlando. Um, the first most obvious issue, uh, there was a great piece by Tim McMahon on ESPN yesterday about Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and sort of what the dynamic is there and the post-COVID, you know, fallout from what would happen when the season got canceled in March. Um, there's two other reasons I think that they're very interesting. That That is definitely the driving force on why they have the most to lose. I think the stakes are really high for them to perform this, this year. You know, they're coming off. Uh, this will be their fourth consecutive playoff appearance. The last two have ended in defeats at the hands of the Houston Rockets. Um, and the year before that, they were swept by the eventual champion Warriors. So the Jazz have been a playoff staple for the last few years, but the reason that this year is the most interesting is just between uh, no Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, you know, came to town and has had, like, I I can only describe it as a rocky season for Mike Conley, and then this Mitchell Gobert feud. um, I mean, I'm eager to get your guys' thoughts on what's going to end up happening with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. 
Yeah, I'm um I it's so funny because like I've I we've heard so much reported about it at this point. Like you get it's it's definitely not a good sign for any player relationship when you hear the words it's never going to be perfect, right? Like I think that was Rudy Gobert's line like it's never going to be perfect. Like damn, like that's pretty like that's that's what you say about like a marriage when you have like regret like 10 years in like well listen it's it's never going to be perfect but like you know like that's that's kind of rough you know like but um it's also still hard for me to believe that like like granted Rudy Gobert's actions and behavior prior to him knowing that he contracted COVID-19 were um obviously inappropriate reckless immature whatever word you want to use to characterize it um Still, on on some level, uh, given the fact that we are still learning new things about this virus in some sense on a daily basis, um, I don't know. I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, of course, if I'm Donovan Mitchell, I'm extremely upset. And if I, you know, God forbid, infected anyone in my family, I would be uh, crestfallen, right? I'd be, like, so distraught. But, you know, I don't know. And maybe you guys feel differently. Like, I don't know how long I would hold Rudy Gobert personally responsible for that when I think we're seeing that um, even sometimes when precautions are taken, you know, the virus can still spread, you know, very much. Um, So I don't know. And then then we also heard there was other things that came out, right? Like uh, Rudy Gobert didn't like the fact that Donovan, the ball was always in Donovan's hands and you know, I don't know what to make of that 100%. But uh, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is, if there's real issues between them, I have to, I have to have a feeling that they had to have started before the COVID incident. Like, yeah, that, yeah. And what's been so interesting about especially with uh, what McMahon was saying about them is like, what I've gleaned from basically this months long process now of them trying to reconcile and not even like really reconcile as friends, but just reconcile like into a working relationship is that Gobert has taken both the understanding that he is the problem and is the only one trying to make a solution from what we've gleaned. Mitchell has pretty much just like punted on the subject anytime it's come wow. up in public and just like, you know what, we're going to hoop man. And we're just going to try to win games. Gobert, you know, has been, you know, publicly noted for reaching out to him right after the incident, you know, uh, deferring like workouts until he was able to talk to Mitchell, deferring Zoom calls and whatnot. Um, I think what's most interesting about the situation, honestly, and, and why ultimately the Jazz have a ton to lose if they, if they end up just not, it doesn't click in Orlando, is that Gobert is up for the Supermax this summer. Uh, the other thing is that Mitchell, you know, is entering the last year of his contract in 2020 2021. So he is in line for an extension as well. Otherwise, he's going to hit restricted free agency. Uh, we, you know, we've heard some rumors circulating about Mitchell potentially, you know, coming back home to New York. I don't know how much I want to give those credence, just, you know, that you, we've seen those, that story one too many times at this point, but you know, there is this rift on the court between them where Gobert, I guess, wants the ball more than he's given. And, you know, I, you know, from what's been reported, we hear the internal rumblings about the jazz, you know, they're trying to make sure Gobert knows what he's worth. They, they were the ones that are. Uh, you know, begging for the screen assist stat to come more into the <laughs> yeah. fold because Gobert is, you know, by far the best screen assister in the game. Um, I think they're, you know, if you look at the, you know, past, I'm sorry, past few playoff performances, Gobert has had 
you know, quite a good playoff run, despite like there being this kind of conception that he gets played off from the court in the playoffs. Like he has posted pretty monster net ratings in the series that they've been eliminated each time. And, you know, he had net positive net ratings against both the rocket series when they lost the last two years and the warriors before that, what ends up happening a lot is that, um, you know, the second unit kind of gets played off the floor and, and Gobert is able to keep them tight. So much of their offense runs through him. So, it's interesting to see, you know, the the chips will kind of fall into place this summer, or I, not this summer, I guess, but this offseason, uh, whenever decisions are made surrounding Mitchell and Gobert, um, you know, who gets what extension and the unfortunate circumstances surrounding like what is perceived to be going to be a salary cap shrink means that, you know, one or both will likely have to take pretty significant pay cuts. Um, so like one other reason I think that the stakes are really high for Utah this summer is they still have Mike Connolly on the books next year, right. $34.5 fully guaranteed. So they're pretty much at like a standstill in terms of what they can do financially. Like obviously, you know, you know, they made it very clear um, in quotes given to McMahon. Uh, let's see. Um, executive vice president of basketball ops, Dennis Lindsay saying, you know, we certainly don't see the need to entertain thoughts of choosing between Gobert and Mitchell. So I think they're both in line for extensions, but like to what degree and to what degree that harms personalities is going to be really interesting to watch. Chipping out. Yeah, it sounds like it's headed for a breakup between the two of them. Just based off what you said about Gobert being like forthright about willing to confront the situation and Mitchell kind of being like, I don't want to talk about it. It just, they're very conflicting personalities and Mitchell has had issues with Utah fans and, uh, I guess racism on his Instagram account and uh, comments on there, but it, it sounds like the long-term fit isn't really there between the two of them. Uh, as far as Mitchell forgiving Gobert, I think he should. I mean, this is going to fall follow Gobert around. I mean, he was stupid and he did make a mistake, but this is going to follow him around for his entire career. Yeah, I mean, he's always going to be that guy, and he's always going to get booed everywhere he goes now for at least a while he's going to get booed so yeah i'd forgive him if i were mitchell it's his teammate so he's gotta at least try and show him some respect i saw i'm glad you brought up the mcmahon article because i saw in that i thought it was interesting that i think it was joe ingles they said reached out to mitchell to try and get him to forgive gobert i guess it didn't work out but another thing from the mcmahon article that i didn't notice was uh Basically, the Jazz were a 500 team this year outside of the 19-2 and stretch that they had in December and January, which I guess they didn't play very many good teams during that stretch, which is kind of a, a theme for them uh, the past few years when they've been good. They kind of start off slow and just beat the shit out of teams and go through hot stretches. So winning cures all, though. We know that. Right. <laughs> if they come into Orlando – and win a playoff series and maybe even win another playoff series. Everything, everyone's going to forget about this in Utah. They're going to be yeah. fine. And notably absent from that big winning streak was Mike Connolly. He was injured for a lot of right. that, like that uh, 19 and two run they went on. Um, so like what's just fascinating about when they get down to Orlando is they're going to be missing Bogdanovich, who in my opinion is probably like their third most important offensive player. Like if you want to, you know, give Gobert the screen, the screen assist clout and then you know obviously Mitchell just has the ball in his hands 
Bogdanovich kind of filled the, like a dual role, both being a, a four spacer. And then they were running a lot of plays through and were basically like a lot of their possessions with the second unit where Ingles was kind of running the playmaking would just start with a Bogdanovich getting, receiving a down screen in the corner and then either running pick and roll with Gobert or receiving a handoff from Gobert just to initiate the offense. And, you know, you got to worry about, okay, without one of their most important players on the floor, just some quick Bogdanovich stats. He is part of their best lineup, which played 570 minutes. That's like the third most used lineup in the league and the fourth best lineup in the league that has appeared in over 200 minutes in net rating. They're five point, plus 5.5 net rating when he's on, minus 1.8 when he's off. He's just an essential player for the Jazz. And then when you lose him, what you get into is more of the, I think what we're going to see is a lot of Donovan Mitchell hero ball, which was like, you know, definitely their downfall in the last two playoffs where he ended up shooting like, you know, mid thirties on field goal percentage and 25% from three. So no Bogdanovich definitely is like the catalyst for what could be Gobert looking for more offensive action and not receiving it. Like Conley needs to take a bigger role. You know, this is his lowest, um, points per game and, and I think since like a big season when he only played like nine or 12 games due to injury so there's just like a lot of uh factors that are kind of sparking the flame that is this relationship feud between Gobert and Mitchell and I, I think you're right Chip winning cures all I just wonder you know they're right now they are uh in this kind of like the middle zone, I don't even want to like say, I guess they're technically in uh, fifth right now, but like the potential to slide anywhere from three to seven in the West is, is pretty enormous in these next eight games. So I think anything for them in the first eight games that doesn't result in them playing one of the LA teams in the first round should not be considered a failure. If they get Denver, if they get Houston, you know, even though they haven't had a ton of success versus Houston, um, they have uh, two losses versus Dallas this year, but even still, you just want to avoid LA and say they win one without Bogdanovich. You know, if they're running it back with the same lineup next year and they, they got a playoff series win, maybe Mitchell and Gobert, there's time for them to reconcile. But based on that McMahon article, it just seems like everyone is so concerned with saying the right thing that you know that there's just like kind of this underlying tension that yeah. just might, you know, explode in a trade request. Yeah. It's not very common that players comment in articles like that too. Right. I thought that was very strange. Gobert commented in an article about a rift with a teammate. I just thought like he was very, very open about it. Like, a little I, too you open. never see that. Yeah. 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 You don't see that very often. He might also feel like, well, listen, if, if I'm going to be taking the massive PR hit for being the one guy to shut down the league because of COVID, I want everybody to know what I'm doing to try and fix this situation. You know, like I think he might also have that in mind as well. Um, Alex, what do you think about kind of the whole jazz situation? Yeah, I think with Gobert, like as we all know, like it just sucks that, you know, he was messing around when he should have been messing around, like touching mics and everything. And no one's saying that he was the initial cause to like spreading COVID to all of his teammates, but it's not a it's not a good look when you don't take the matter seriously. Um, you know, even Kevin O'Connor said it like on the NBA ringer, it's like he very may well not have spread to anybody, but the act of just like doing it and showing that you're careless about it, whether it's touching, you know, the reporter's mics or just touching everyone else's stuff in the locker room, you just should not be doing that during a time during a pandemic when we have no idea what it is. Right. 
I think with the jazz situation, though, the thing that we have to bring up is like how far are the action to go? Even if they had Donovan Mitchell and Keith Rudy Gobert for the foreseeable future, I think there's a cap on them right now. Even with Bogdan like being like that third best player, as Brendan pointed out, but I think Mitchell's also looking at the situation as well, saying like how far can this team actually go? Like who else do we need? Like Gobert is like a defensive stalwart. He's the face and the leader of the team offensively, right? But then you have like Bogdan, who's just kind of like, he's a solid third player, but he's not going to take you over the edge to go against like the Clippers or the Lakers at this point. So I think he's doing a whole team evaluation himself saying, you know, I, I don't know. But he's probably saying like, hey, how much more can I get out of this roster? How much more can Utah actually do for me, you know? I think Ricky Rubio was like the best fit for them. Connolly was like, it's now like he had a rough start. He started to find his groove before the season, like hit pause, but I don't think Connolly's necessarily the best fit for this team. Um, they should just try to keep Rubio. Who's like a better facilitator who can allow Mitchell to like kind of roam without the ball for a little bit and know where to get him in his spots to find rhythm. I think Connolly, like, it just takes more time, like, as a point guard to figure out your teammate in that manner. So I think overall, though, is coming back down to, like, Mitchell seeing that this is potentially his way out. I don't think he necessarily wants to be in Utah. I think he's tired of, you know, whether it's racism or Rudy Gobert and it's just being a not necessarily a difficult playing, like, environment, but just – it's just not what he sees as like a successful team for the future. He's, I think he may just see a cap. Like if it's getting only to the second round and not potentially getting a conference finals with that, you know, that chance to gain to the NBA finals, then why, you know, it's like what Kevin Durant and LeBron James, it's like why limit yourself to this when you can go somewhere else and go experience more success. And I, I think th- that's like underlying the rift between the two of them, right? Like, Gobert very much, I think, sees himself as kind of the savior of the Utah Jazz. I remember when he first got there and then Hayward left that summer that they made the playoffs in free agency and he's going to Instagram and posting Loyal by Chris Brown on his Instagram and just like causing just chaos for pretty much no reason. (laughs) And then Mitchell, I think you're right, Alex, there is definitely like a conversation to be had about I, I like personally think Gobert's ceiling as like an impact player in a championship team. Like I, I guess Gobert probably makes more of a difference when you look at Mitchell. Like he has his stats pretty much did not change from last year to this year, except for better shooting percentages, which is definitely important. But like they're they're better with him off the court this year, and that's it's it's just kind of reminding me of like those. Uh, like for like overall one seed Raptors when everyone's like DeMar DeRozan actually is not good, but like the Raptors are good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, of course Donovan Mitchell is a great basketball player. Like no one's disputing that, but like in terms of raising your ceiling to like competing past the second round of the playoffs, it's difficult to foresee a future in which like Donovan Mitchell matches up against Kawhi in the second round, o- other than Royce O'Neal playing somehow 49 minutes a game on Kawhi. Like Donovan Mitchell is not going to be able to just like, take on Kawhi and Paul George, especially this year, you know, and in, in, in the future, who knows, I don't want to, you know, speculate too much, but when they have decisions coming about their ceiling, you know, it's definitely a valid concern. Well, he's also like, you know, the good thing is that he's still a young player. He hasn't reached his prime yet or even right. his peak. I think when it comes to looking at Donovan Mitchell, the thing when you watch him play, he's, he likes to be on ball for the most part. And he, 
is to some extent is a ball stopper. Like he thinks he has to do it all for most of the games. And to some extent he has to do most of it all because he's the guy. He, who else is scoring if he's not scoring? Like Connolly wasn't doing it. Bogdan, you can only rely on Bogdan and Joe Ingles for so much. And then after that, who else do you have? So it's, it sucks because it's like it, it's justified why he is playing more on ball and why he takes a lot of shots. But at the same time, it's like he may need to show that he can do some more stuff off ball in order to demonstrate he can be that type of like true impact player. Because the more he can do off ball and allow other guys to succeed, you know, that's when the team starts to really flourish. Well, he wasn't supposed to be playing as much like this this year, right? Conley was supposed to be taking pressure off of right. him, but now he that's not a possibility because he's playing <laughs> so horribly. No one could no one saw this coming that Conley was gonna drop off like this. No one there's no way Utah could have saw this coming. This came out of nowhere. I guess that's the other thing with Mitchell, then maybe that is the reason that um some of the rumors of, of him moving are connected to the Knicks and and not to go too much on the Knicks here because like the the function of Mitchell's frustration also has to lie within the fact that he's in the Western Conference. And so that team that the Utah Jazz have even with a poorly um even with Connolly not playing well would probably still be making some decent noise, right? Like doing pretty well in the Eastern Conference, but like what team what team would be able to Right, pay him and have him in terms of like uh, who's already on the roster. So I think that's why maybe a switch in conference is potentially what's best for him. But I think it's tough if you're if you're that um, lower market team like the Jazz who do a really good job of of drafting and and you know not necessarily making home run type swings, but just building their franchise, you know, kind of like step by step in a pretty decent way, like. Um, I agree with what Alex said. Like, there's definitely a cap on this team for sure. Um, you know, I do think Rudy Gobert is is probably more impactful. Um, and you know, but from Mitchell's standpoint, he's going to see this as I only have the next two to three, maybe four years to really maximize my earning potential and maybe win a championship before, not necessarily before like end of peak, but like to be really within, like, the the strong parts of the peak years. Yeah, and of course, Dennis Lindsay is coming out and saying, we're not going to choose between the two because if he chooses one, who else is coming to Utah to replace them? Right. So I, I think that's a great point. And, like, when we talk about Mitchell, Alex is absolutely right. He's still a young player. And, and like, maybe there is a second gear he can kick into. Um, and that's why, like, when you talk about his fit in the Eastern Conference, it's like, Maybe all it takes to get the five seed in the Eastern Conference is Donovan Mitchell and like some good shooting and, and a decent big man. And the West is just like not going to get it done. You have arguably the analytically the best center in the league, plus Donovan Mitchell, plus uh, Mike Connolly was averaging 20 points a game last year. He, he went to the playoffs from 2011 to 2017. You know, a great point guard he's getting paired with. Bogdanovich obviously was huge, and they were roughly a 500 team outside of an insane run against some you know kind of crappy team. So. It's definitely like, you know, you could, I, I personally don't see it coming all apart this summer, but if you, if we in like five years look to how did Donovan Mitchell get to the Hornets or the Knicks or like some random team in the East, 
I think this summer is and like this summer and then this off season are going to be uh, places that you can point back to, saying it started with Corona, it got worse in Orlando, and it was not salvageable after that. Right. Sure. I I think that's probably a good place for us uh, to wrap it up on the Jazz and and move on to our next team here. I'm very much looking forward to what they're going to be doing uh, during the restart. Uh, number one, because it could potentially impact the Knicks, but also just because it's it's really interesting, like Chip and Brendan said, when you have uh, players that legitimately have some type of underlying rift, uh, at least one of them talking openly to reporters, and, you know, this isn't like some off-the-record type deal. Like, he legit put it out there. Um, I think that'll be interesting. So our next team here is a team that I've chosen, and I'm, I'm looking right at Chip and Alex because uh, we talked a little bit offline and, and you know, Chip and Alex have, have have had to give me a little bit of an intervention recently. You know, they've been like, you know, Jeff, you got these deep cuts, you know, like these players that are really like a little off the wall with some of your selections and, you know, just come back to earth a little bit. And I said, I said, you know what, no, I'm just going to double down. I'm just going to double down with these off the wall selections and I'm just going to keep going with it. Um, so uh, my next team here is the Indiana Pacers. And so I'm going to try and put on my, my uh, car salesman hat for a minute and try and sell this as a, as a team with a lot to prove in the playoffs. And I think there's a couple core factors here um, that, that, that really kind of show why they have to, to prove a lot. Um, the, first one I'm, the first factor is Victor Oladipo. So uh, Oladipo is entering uh, the last season well, next season will be the last season of, of a four-year and $85 million extension. Uh, he's coming off a major leg injury, uh, ruptured quads, only played 13 games this season and 36 last season. Uh, Chip and I have talked about when we did redrafts in, in previous pods, like how good Victor Oladipo actually is. I think we both like Oladipo, but Chip has pointed out to me, and it's true, like he, if we're looking at how impactful he's going to be going forward you're really basing it off of one season uh granted it was a really good season where he was most improved uh had some all nba nominations and was an all-star as well um but you know that that first year that he was with indiana he averaged i think it was 23 5 and 4 with two steals as well uh the the hard the hard money fact of the Indiana Pacers is that they have about 125 million committed in salaries for next year. Um, a lot of their money is tied into Brogdon, Turner, and Demodis uh, Sabonis. So the first thing with Oladipo is like, and I think it's a good idea that he didn't play, um, you know, to to come back fully healthy. But it's going to be, you know, how are the Pacers going to make room for him um do they value him so much that they're just gonna say okay you're gonna get the four-year max and uh you know i don't because the other thing is this i don't know indiana's ownership very well but i they don't strike me as the type of team in that market to just continuously pay luxury tax uh based on you know how they're doing um and so when when we talk about making room for oladipo the other player that comes up quite routinely and we talked to uh, a guy from I think it's off the glass is the is, is the website but Corey Waldron is Miles Turner 
Um, so Miles Turner is a, another player that has about three years left on his deal, 18 per. Um, Sabonis is making 18 to 19 for the next four seasons. Uh, so Turner is a guy that, you know, a lot of Pacers fans have not really liked the pairing of Turner and Sabonis together. Uh, Turner ideally is is a good five from a rim protecting standpoint. He gets a ton of blocks. He's usually at the top of the league in terms of blocks, but he's been struggling to um, manage his three point shot um, on offense. Nate McMillan um, really wanted Turner to play kind of like a stretch four role this year, so they asked him to kind of uh, spread the floor a little bit more and play out of position than something he was used to in terms of kind of being the main role guy in the in the pick and roll. Um, and then if you look at the numbers, it's pretty clear that on the court, Sabonis has a plus 3.1 net rating. Turner's is, is just barely positive at 0.9. And then off the court, uh, the Pacers actually have a better net rating when Turner is off the court. Um, so there are some interesting things kind of going forward with the Pacers. And then my last kind of point here before I get um, your guys' take is that on this is Nate McMillan. Um, so really kind of like an underrated coach in the NBA that doesn't really get mentioned a lot, but he's, he's in contract right now through the 2021 season. Uh, his overall record is 177 and 134. He's never really advanced in the playoffs with that team. Um, but this year he had them in the fifth spot in the East without their best player in Oladipo. Um, you could say he kind of developed T.J. Warren a little bit, who I don't think was playing as good in Phoenix as, as he was this year. Uh, definitely developed Sabonis, who was an all-star this past year. Um, but when you think about the Pacers and where they kind of rank in the Eastern Conference, you got to think of it this way, right? Boston was really good this year, and they're going to continue to be good. The 76ers, you know, hey, uh, you know, Chip will probably, or Alex will will touch on this more, but um, even, honestly, even if they really made some type of massive move from Embiid or Simmons, I think generally the 76ers would still be pretty good. Um, they have a good amount of talent on that team. The Raptors, even if, even when, and I, and I know Chip is going to hate this, but even when and if Kyle Lowry finally leaves, the Raptors with Siakam are still going to be a good team, right? Brooklyn, ideally, theoretically, who knows what's going to happen? KD and Kyrie are coming back for Brooklyn. So where do the Pacers fit in that mix? So um, whether it comes through the coaching, Oladipo, the mix between Turner and Sabonis, I think the Pacers have a lot of questions to answer um, with this restart coming up. The one piece of good news, and then I'll turn it over to you guys, is that they have the fourth easiest schedule. So they could do fairly well, but if your ownership or your Kevin Pritchard, um, Larry Bird is really more of an advisor these days, but do you say if is, is another first-round exit okay um, based on where we sit in the Eastern Conference and based on how the other teams around us are going to get better? I think Oladipo's injury gave them an out. Yeah. I think that they're, I thought the expectations lowered with Oladipo's injury. Not that he looked great when he was healthy, but I thought when they basically told Oladipo to stay home, that was like them punting on this season, don't you think? Um, I don't know about punting, but, but the other thing is 
like again they they have to make a d decision financially like are they going to commit to him or not there's a lot of money on the books for the pacers so i don't i don't know is it a foregone conclusion that turner is going to get traded to i know like the rockets have been kind of thrown out there i even i've read an article today that even said that if oladipo wanted out of indy miami would be his preferred choice so you know yeah but that doesn't mean they're gonna treat. Do you th really think Oladipo is gonna get traded? I, I don't I, think they're gonna I, trade. I think I think there's a possibility. I'm not gonna say it's likely, but I, I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion that he signs in Indy. Um, I could see a signing trade deal. Only yeah. if Miami knows they're not getting Giannis, they're not gonna make any trades for long-term contracts before 2021. Maybe. I don't see that. I think Turner's contract is coming off the books. They're going to do everything they can to unload Turner. I really think that's going to happen. So, makes yeah. no sense to have both guys. Yeah, I agree with Chip. I think I see I see Turner moving before Oladipo just because at the same time, like besides Brogdon in the backcourt, who else do you have? And you're going to need some sort of semblance in the backcourt. Depot gives that with Brogdon. Uh, also, Turner hasn't really like transpired into what they wanted him to be at playing at center. We kind of talked about this like a few weeks ago. So I'd see Turner being moved more so with his contracts than letting Depot just go to like the Heat uh, conference competitor where you can get rid of Turner and, you know, he's not going to really like put a team over. Depot puts a team over once they get him. Like if you let him go to the Heat or any other team, that's, you know, that's just dangerous. Yeah, I was interested in the depot decision because that's my gut reaction too. Is like, wow, what a what a power move would it would be for a team in the East to acquire depot? And when you think back when you, what we saw this year, it's like maybe were they just trying to, you know, shelter him until he's like really healthy because it might have been another bad stretch of games in in Orlando. I think like I Jeff, I originally was thinking that this was the least interesting team we could have picked to discuss, but I've gone completely the other way. I think this is awesome. Yeah, what you're saying about Sabonis and McMillan, uh, McMillan in particular has just turned them into a defensive stalwart. Like, yeah. This is not necessarily like a defensive line lineup that you want to be charging out. Sabonis and Turner plus 2.1 is a two-man two lineup with like a 103 defensive rating. That's that's outrageous given their like, – not really complimentary defensive skill sets at all. There's a great uh, article from December on SB Nation on like the um, – is it on the Pacers SB? Oh, no, it's just on the SB Nation site by Caitlin Cooper just talking about Sabonis as a screen setter. And I don't want to be like the screen guy after talking about Gobert too much, but like it is great to watch how much of an impact this guy can have on the offense without having the ball. He's making Jeremy Lamb – look like John Stockton. It's like pretty insane. Um, the, I think Chip's point about like, are they bowing out is like, is this like, are they punting is an interesting one. So they did, they did clinch and like the three teams from the East coming in behind them, I guess they're technically tied with the Sixers in the five spot, but they have the tiebreaker, but like Brooklyn, Orlando, Washington behind them, like who the hell knows what's going on in any of those. I think the Nets as just a quick aside all of us watch the Knicks pretty religiously, and the Nets could be trotting out the most eclectic group oh of NBA God. players in modern NBA history. It's really going to be insane. Um, but like in terms of like the Pacers, like I 
think people, I don't know if people will go match up hunting for the Pacers in the first round, but like certainly if they fall in the six, like them versus Boston will be, you know, like Boston will be the favorite there, but like them versus Miami and the Sixers, like they definitely will give them a hard time. I would still take Miami or Philly to win in either of those series. But like, again, it's the same situation. You know, if they come out and old Depot's watching this from wherever he is and, and they're just getting blasted four games in the first round, they're getting swept and they, you know, they fumble the easy schedule. Then he wants out. Then it is an interesting situation. And like, especially if he stays in the East, I mean, who knows what could happen and, and what do the Pacers want in return then? Like who compliments Turner and Sabonis? Um, so I think Turner is definitely the name, like we've heard the most rumblings about throughout his career, just from fit, like why not try to move him? He's on a team friendly extension, but definitely Depot kind of holds the cards to really swing the power balance in the East if he ends up going. Yeah, I think the, the, the I mean, to me, the coaching situation is really interesting too. Like, I just think that, um, and we've talked about this on the pod before, but, I, and again, I know, you know, Kevin Pritchard's really like pulling the strings there and Larry Brown is like, you know, kind of in the shadows these days, but I'm sorry, Larry Bird. Um, but, you know, Bird is kind of famous for saying that, you know, coaches have a three-year shelf life and then players don't want to hear their voice anymore. So, I don't know if that's going to be the case with McMillan. I personally think it's pretty um, commendable that he had them where he did without Oladipo. Um, I, I don't know that, that he's like an offensive mastermind or anything like that. But I know going into this season that I think a lot of people had high hopes for the Pacers. And that, that addition of Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon with his um, kind of you know three-point shot um, just a smart player, decent defensively, like decent finishing at the rim, uh, I think was, you know, brought on, you know, we talked about bringing on Mike Connolly to, to take off pressure from Donovan Mitchell. I'm almost certain that that was brought, um, to, to take off pressure from Oladipo. It just so happened that he was injured. But I, I think that, you know, there could be a lot of changes for that franchise specifically, and I just think that if you're if you're in a front office and you start to look at the teams around you, what are you going to say when it's like, what, where exactly do we fit here? And what do we need to do to move forward? And I don't know if that means more trades. Um, because the other thing is this, the, the Pacers are not historically a great developmental team. Like I was looking at their past drafts and with the exception of um, since 2010, I think it was Lance Stevenson and Paul George. They're both drafted from that same draft, right? Those are the only players that have factored really in a rotation. And then you have Aaron Holiday and um, and Turner. So those are the only guys. You're talking about four guys, you know, that span ten seasons that have you know played a factor or, or maybe made it to a second contract on your squad. So. You know, if you're not this type of developmental team, and then you know it, it leads to the fact that they might try to improve the team via trade. But where exactly are they going with that? Like, I think there could be a cap on them too. I don't know. I, I think they're they're interesting. I don't think they're as interesting as some of our other teams, but um, they have a lot of questions to answer. I think going forward, that could be the move if they trade Oladipo. If that's what you're talking about, move Holiday into the starting lineup. 
because he looks really good. I, I like Aaron Holiday. Holiday. I like Aaron Holiday. He, I yeah. mean, he torches the Knicks. Everybody torches the Knicks, but he looked he looked really good. Yeah, he's a really good player. Not quite as good defensively uh, backcourt as Oladipo and Brogdon theoretically would be because they're smaller backcourt. But I mean, Holiday looks like he's going to be a stud. But again, I I don't think they're going to move too quickly on trading Oladipo. I just don't see it. Again, small market team. We talked the same thing about Mitchell. Small market team. They're not going to trade a star player. They look like they have. He's so he's so fucking popular there. He's like, he's so popular. Well, he went to he went to school there too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He went to Indiana. They isn't love him there. Isn't his family living in Indiana too? Or yeah, no, yeah. So like, I'm I, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the case as well. I don't see him wanting. I don't really see him necessarily wanting to leave unless like the situation is like so detrimental. Although before I continue, Jeff, you brought out a lot of good stuff to show why this is an interesting team to look at. And why yes, I let me give let me let me give you that. All right, and Brendan, kudos for pointing it out first because this is very interesting between the coaching, <laughs> the players, and everything else from an organizational standpoint. I'll and I was, you know, I guess it's just like they're a low key team like the Jazz. So because they're so small market, we're not really focusing on them. But I guess, like, I don't know. I don't see them letting Depot go that quick. I'll see them throw the bag and potentially even, like, maybe even theoretically think of going over the cap and going into the luxury just to maintain something. Right. I, like, I know they're a small market team, but who are, who are they going to attract? As Chip said, they're a small market team. No one's really going to want to fly out to Indiana and go, you know, be there. I mean, what? Reggie Miller is, like, the ideal situation that they had so long ago. That's, like, the guy who they're – gonna have to try to love to like no one's running out there to do that like paul george paul george left hibbert left stevenson left they traded they traded Kawhi and karis levert i I, looking at their previous draft (laughs) draft picks i thought that was really interesting too just looking at all of them i was like wow and Kawhi would have left too so (laughs) yeah Kawhi would have left anyway yeah i'll take the compliment for sure um, I think uh, we'll move on to our next team here, and I think we have Alex, right, with the 76ers? That is right. Ooh. So I'm, I'm ready for this one. This is this is going to be a good one. So I think this is not really like a shocker for everyone. You just follow the NBA. We're all junkies here, so I know everyone's aware of this. But it's between Brett Brown, always be on the hot seat, the fit between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you have a lot of money just stacked up between Simmons and Bede, Tobias Harris. So it's just a lot just to unravel. And they've been, in my opinion, they've underachieved for what Sam, for what, uh, what Hinky is it Sam Hinky? What, what is that? Yeah. yeah. He, he, Sam he started it. Yeah. He started, Sam. yeah, he started, he started the whole, uh, rebuild, like just continuously tanking. And honestly, like you've tanked for so many years just to get, in my opinion, uh, a mediocre, like competitive product in the East that has had difficulty getting past the second round. And you have questionably like one of the best centers that we've ever seen in Joel Embiid. And you have like a uh, transcendent talent and Ben Simmons who doesn't want to take a jumper and refuses to take a jumper and won't help space the floor. And then you have Brett Brown, who's just like, who throws shade at Ben Simmons saying, you know, take jumpers. I want you to take jumpers, but tell you to take jumpers. And his, his like, he's done a decent job and like manning the ship for so long, but 
this season alone, it's just really going to unwrap a lot of things. I think if they underachieve, whether it's a first or second round exit, they have to go to the comp. They have to go to the conference finals at, at least to save Brett Brown and to show that this team's actually worth it. Because like alone this year, right? I think the most starking thing that everyone knows about is that they're twenty nine and two at home, but ten and twenty four on the road, and that it just speaks volumes to how poor of a team it is. Like yes, home court advantage, great, but the fact that you can't go on the road two of the best talents on the team and actually like take care of business. I see this whole thing just unraveling. I, I see like Ben Simmons either being upset, although I'm not saying they're going to, or and as well as Embiid, I don't see them asking for a trade, but I see like Brett Brown leaving and then who's the next head coach. I don't see any like top head coaching candidates. So there's a lot on the line just for Brett Brown at this point And to show that Embiid and Simmons can actually fit together at this point. So, Alex, do you buy into the the neutral site being beneficial for the Sixers? Because as we know from the the biblical text that is summer Instagram workout videos, Ben Simmons has a jump shot in empty gyms. What do you think? So it's funny because I did write this down and I said, they are going to be away for the entire time of the records. <laughs> it shows that it's not going to be good. And whether it's fans or just being on the road in itself, I don't see this playoff run going well for the Sixers I see this all like I don't see you know I, I don't see it being forgiving for Brett Brown if they don't do anything this this one I don't see them being I like it depends on who they match up with like uh, were they they're fifth right now right yeah tied with the the Sixers in like the five six spot okay so, so who would they have to face Indiana first they would they're right now they play Boston um I have their schedule so they play they have like a relatively easy schedule. Um, they play notably Indiana in the first game, so that would have some tiebreaker implications. Okay. But then right now they're slotted versus Boston, who I think they beat uh, three times this year. They were actually uh, pretty good against Boston, shockingly. Yeah. But I see – so here's the thing. Even though they did beat Boston, regular season means nothing when it comes to playoff basketball. And I see – Brad Stevens just like holding some cards saying, we're not going to show you everything because we're no going to face you guys again in the playoffs. And I see that being like, if they have to play the Celtics in the first round, it's over. Just kiss Brett Brown goodbye. And then we're really going to start seeing questions on whether Ben Simmons, because is he going to stay there? There's been like, you know, people are proposing that he should be the one traded because he can't fit with Embiid because Essentially, you have a power forward slash center bringing the ball up, and then you just have both of them like on the court. And when Embiid was out, they were actually playing. He was actually playing much better. The floor is actually open for him because you can just add another shooter instead of forcing Embiid to take three point shots. So it's it's a tough team, and like I don't see I don't see this going well at all. I see this all going up in flames. I see this is just like it's so sad to see like a project of like tanking to get some of the best players and then they're just going to flame out because that's, that's what's going to happen. And they did it last year. Uh, and not necessarily they flamed out, but it was like, they had a shot to be, it was just like really four bounces to lose against the Raptors. They did a yeah. good job, but Embiid wasn't healthy. You know, he was sick, but then again, it could also be questioning to like, how well does he take care of himself? Simmons, he did, he played well in the playoffs, but it was just like he, without a jump shot, 
you know what's coming. There's only so much you can do. And they lost, like, even though they're a decent three-point shooting team, they're, I don't necessarily think they were as good when they had Reddick, who was also able to help. You had Jimmy Butler, who's, like, the guy who, like, who, who wants all that pressure and ready to take that pressure. Ben Simmons, I don't think he necessarily wants it. I think Embiid is, but I don't think necessarily Embiid is, like, that guy who will flourish in that type of pressure because we haven't seen it yet. I'm uh I'm so interested to see how it plays out too. I think the um, one of the the things that stuck out to me when when you're talking is I'm remembering last year when you know there's all these podcasts that come out after the NBA finals and sometimes little little nuggets come out here and there about teams and the way they played and I forget um what pod it was but like or maybe maybe it was um it was Jimmy Butler talking with JJ Redick about Philly, and he essentially said, "Like, yeah, they took the ball handling out of Ben's. They took the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands and gave it to me, um, because I was, you know, running the pick and roll, and like, um, you know, he's more clutch player as well. And Jimmy Butler was like, if I was Ben, I would have been pissed because, like, you, you, you essentially went the entire season trusting me." with all the primary ball handling responsibilities. And then when it came to crunch time, it was Jimmy. It was just a steady diet of Jimmy Butler. Um, and that worked in the playoffs. That's the thing. It worked better for them. Um, so I think if if I have to put money, despite Joel Embiid's health, which is also a massive issue here, um, I don't know. I think I think they would probably move on from Ben Simmons. And I the only thing I hate about having this conversation is because there's so many people online and Twitter that clown Ben Simmons and it's like, um, you know, oh my God, imagine, you know, your number one point guard being a guy who can't shoot. Pat, Like, Ben Simmons is an absolute stud, man. Like, there's, I don't know if there's five point guards with his size and his skill level and his defensive abilities as well that we've ever seen. Um, yeah, the shot is a big issue, but he's still an amazing player. Um, it just sucks that, and I agree with Alex, like the most likely outcome I think is that they have to move on from me, from one or the other. And I also think that will coincide with Brett Brown losing his job as well. Yeah. He shoots with the wrong hand though. Yeah. I, 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 I I don't think you're wrong about that. I mean, I've, I've read all the Kevin O'Connor stuff, all the stuff he said. Like he clearly shoots with the wrong fucking hand. It's, it's crazy. But no, I can't wait to see how Joel Embiid looks. He's the player I'm most looking forward to. I, I just can't wait to see how what he does, what kind of shape he's in, how good he looks, and of course, skinny Jokic too, and whatever that looks like. But no, I want to see if Joel Embiid looks like all the haters think he's going to look, or. Because he just said he was playing video games or whatever, just chilling out. I don't know, whatever he said he was doing. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Embiid. And I actually don't think that Philly necessarily needs to trade Simmons or Embiid. I don't think that they should break it up before they see those guys play under a new coach. They've only played together under Brett Brown, who I don't think we'd put him in the same category as Rick Carlisle or Doc Rivers or anybody great like that. So you bring in somebody new, and you, it, they're both under contract long term, you know, and they're very young. They're in their prime. Simmons hasn't even come close to his prime, I don't think. And 
next year is going to be the first year of Simmons' extension. The extension hasn't even kicked in yet. There's no rush to trade them. You try bring in a new head coach next year. If they still don't work under a new head coach, then you're like, okay, something's obviously wrong there. They haven't worked under two head coaches now that we probably have a decision to make. And if MB gets hurt again next year, misses like 30 games next year, then the decision is already made for you, who you need to move on from. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about like framing this discussion about teams with the most to lose is like in the event that the Sixers do find they need to make a move after the season, they have two hands to play and they need to go all in on both. And it's like they can only either move Simmons or move Embiid just because I don't think anyone in their right mind is like, let me get Tobias Harris back at $40 million in 2024. Um, so, and their, their cap sheet, the rest of their cap sheet looks like it's like a 12 year old playing 2K that was like, I'm only going to do the first <laughs> season. And then, like, forgot that season. He was like, started on the second season. And he's like, I have negative $85 million in cap space. The Corona cap shrink is coming for them, too. Yeah. Like, oh, in the yeah. event that they, they make. Time. Yeah. So they're just in an absolute hole. Like, either they move them or they're sticking with them. I will say, in Brett Brown's defense, like, in the in the play, and I, I totally agree with you, Chip. I don't think like Brett Brown is like any you know stud of a coach, but like he has creatively used Simmons in the playoffs, where he's just like sometimes like okay, the primary action is going to be Redick and Embiid handoffs, and we're going to put Ben Simmons in the dunker spot and at least like try to make some semblance of floor spacing with three non shooters. But at a certain point, like I think the Sixers rolled the dice and said, "Can Ben is Ben Simmons going to be able to hit an 18 footer this year?" And they thought yes, and they and he said no, and that's like been the underlying, you know, like when I was thinking back, it's like why I thought they were going to be so good before the season, and every single point that I was thinking about like had a massive if underlying it, like oh if Tobias can still guard the three, and oh like if Ben Simmons can you know, space the floor even somewhat. And, oh, if Josh Richardson can be the secondary ball hander, which I think he has been, to be fair. And then, of course, if Embiid can be stay healthy. And you just don't see a lot of successful teams predicated on four or five ifs. And when you, like, look at the Sixers, that's, you know, pretty much ultimately we're looking at. I mean, like, the only people they have under contract outside of Horford, who we really haven't even talked about having just an atrocious season. Oh, my season. God. Like, yeah, forgot about Al Horford. The season Almost from did. hell is Al Horford's season. The only people under contract outside of that, Mike Scott, $5 million next year, Zaire Smith, will he ever play more than eight NBA games? Wow. We don't know. And then Tybal, who has been huge, but, like, again, for spacing. Um, I think they thought like, they were going to get a lot more out of Horford, and, like, if he is declining, like, this is up there for one of the worst contracts in the NBA right now. I mean, he's through 2023 – He's 34 now, so he's going to be 36 or 37 Like by the time that last year of his deal. Uh, I think it's partial guarantee is last year, but even still two more seasons at this output is like pretty horrendous. So definitely like – and who knows? Again, they, you know, every every time I talk about the Sixers, I talk myself back into it. But if they get it to click, like they can really make a scene. I just don't see them getting through Milwaukee, like their ultra, ultra big lineup. Like Brooke Lopez is playing too good on defense. Giannis can guard one through five easily. Like I, it, it just everything literally needs to go right. Interestingly enough, five thirty eight still has them as the second most likely team to come out of the East. Hmm. Um, but it's just I, you know, that would be on such a convalescence of you know factors that probably no one even saw coming. So 
Yeah, I don't I don't really know. They're definitely the most interesting team to talk about, and I feel like the team that people still have the least idea what is going on with them. They're such a wild card. Big time. They are such a wild card. And, and Brendan, thank you for bringing up Al Horford because now you think about it, right? We They lost Redick and they lost Butler, and they replaced it with Al Horford. That's not what the team needed. They didn't need another big man to pair next to Embiid and another big man that would work next to Simmons. So, And they're both – all four of those guys are on large contracts. I don't know how you fill out a roster next to them because, as you said, it was like some kid who's like, I want all of these guys. <laughs> Who are we going to round this out with? Come on, Mom. Yeah. Come on, Dad. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> it's like when 2K signs everyone to the veteran minimum and you're like, yeah. thanks for doing that because I don't yeah. care. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I think their thought process was they were going to have like an all-time great defense yeah. with all those guys out there. And Horford just hasn't looked the same defensively either. And also, I think it was it was to help Embiid with going up against fives, you know? Like, yeah. I think that was a big part of it as well. But, like, god damn, man. It just didn't... The other thing is this, like, I, and I know, like, Chip and I have talked about this a little bit before, but, like, Al Horford got old and like fast and like I don't yeah, know yeah. I don't know if it's just all Sad. on him or the fact that the way they were using him but dude he looked so bad out there at times that it was just like I don't know I don't know you know it's hard yeah. to foresee that going down definitely man and and part of it is the way they're using him where now instead of like on, on the on the Celtics, he was the perfect pick and pop guy because his shot takes like six seconds to get off. But yeah. like, it's like a it's a it's a serviceable shot when he gets it off. And now playing next to Embiid or playing next to Simmons, he's not a pop guy and he's like a floor spacer. Yeah, and he's not a catch and shoot guy. And like as soon as you lose that, he's probably just out there like, man, what am I even doing out of here with these guys? Like, I can't really get anything to go. I think the point about the defense is incredibly on point. And like, what's interesting about this team, I don't want to spoil the next team, but like when you talk about when teams cash in their chips, and we're talking about Henke before, like Elton Brand cashed in a lot of chips to get Tobias Harris here. So, like in the event that Tobias walked after one, basically they went all in on last year, and then this year they had no choice but to try to make something of it. And they're kind of playing, yeah, they're kind of playing with the sunk cost from last year, and there were probably better ways to spend the money, but at a certain point, he's like, we have these two great young players under contract. Let's see if we can spin it to anything. Um, I did want to ask you guys if you remember that one month on Nick's Twitter where everyone was against trading for Ben Simmons. Oh, my God. Oh, I do Jesus. remember that. Oh, my God. I think I deleted God. the app. Yeah, <sighs> I couldn't. I can't I, even. It was like one of those, like, uh, what's that meme or whatever where it's like you, you walk in the door and then just immediately walk, walk right. out. Like, oh, I the, can't, Sim- the Simpsons meme? <laughs> dude, I can't. I can't when shit like that happens, man. It's like I, I – it's just so ridiculous how people, like, just absolutely – stand for which which type of elite star that has every type of um amazing characteristic or attribute that you could have in a basketball court and if there's like one or two off granted simmons's flaw is a big flaw but right you would you would simmons would be the best point guard that would touch a Knicks floor forget 10 years 20 like i, I like 30 like this is like it's ridiculous. Don't even talk to me about not having Ben Simmons now 50, in New York. Fifty, since yeah, Clyde Frazier, well, right? There oh, you go. Yeah. There you go. Like we don't deserve to be happy. No, no, we don't. We don't deserve nice things. This is why we don't have nice things. 
the yeah. fact that we have Knicks fans scoffing at the idea of Ben Simmons is just mind-boggling to me. It's, it's like we what Knicks fans. What have we had outside of Mello in the last last like so like what? Tell me, please tell me, tell me what we had that's been so good and such a transcendent like player. Like, please tell me. Like Patrick Ewing was probably like the last thing for Mello that we actually had that was like. We know what we're going to get out of this guy. Ben Simmons. I know I'm going to get out of Ben Simmons. Give me Ben right. Simmons at a heartbeat. Please. I'll take him. It makes everyone better. Well, I told <laughs> – I tweeted this out like a week ago. It was such a sad moment in my life. Like it was rough. But it, it was – I woke up. I had this amazing dream uh, that the Knicks somehow completed a multi-team trade for Ben Simmons. And like they were showing him at the podium and it was a nice picture with Leon Rose, the basketball – you know, the warm-up and everything, and I was like, oh my god, this is it, I was like, you know, maybe we're going to be more analytically sound, like, we're going to put shooters around him, like, Julius Randle's gone, like, whatever, blah, 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 and then I fucking woke up, and it was just so tough to deal with, I was just like, oh wait, no, we don't have Ben Simmons. Because you don't want to trade Frank Nielakino for him, Jeff. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> forgot all those games we started Kadeem Allen in the last two years. <laughs> can't give that up. That's right. Langston Galloway. Yeah. Um, you don't want to trade that Dallas pick and Frank Nielakino. <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of us, though. We made it like a, almost a full hour without really going down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. Listen, that's, that's some restraint. That's pretty good restraint. Um. All right, so I think we'll 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 wrap it up here with our last team. We're gonna have Chip back clean up um, clean up here, and I think he's gonna hit yeah. us with what team? The Rockets. Speaking of going all in, the Houston Rockets. This is do or die for the Houston Rockets. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. They're forty and twenty four right now. They're the sixth seed. Uh, they won fifty three wins. They had fifty three wins last year. This is absolutely a disappointment. The Russell Westbrook trade, uh, they, I'm sure, thought they were going to be better. The numbers, whatever, told them they were going to be better. I think most people thought they'd decline after that trade. Anything short of a championship, and Mike D'Antoni is gone. It's the last year of his contract, so the writing's on the wall there. And with Maury's China tweets, Daryl Maury's China tweets, I think it's – Another out for Tillman Fertitta, the owner. I think Morey's probably gone, too. Uh, I love that Daryl Morey is going down with the ship with the Clint Capella trade. <laughs> He's just like George Clooney at the end of a perfect storm. He's just like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean... He's, uh, they got out-rebinded by a million by the Knicks at the Garden. And... Uh, and lost to the fucking Knicks, and he's just like, whatever, a loss is a loss. You know, would it, it wouldn't have mattered either way, no matter how many we got out rebounded by. They give up sixty-five rebounds to the Knicks. It was like sixty-five to thirty-four or something like that. PJ Tucker but he just at the doesn't five. Care. Yeah, yeah, that's who he is. But this is their core. This is what they're stuck with now. I mean, even Daryl Morey has run out of moves. There's no more moves he can make. Like Brendan was talking about, how the Corona cap is coming for uh, the Sixers. It is really coming for the Rockets. It really is. I mean, Harden and Russ are run through 2022. They have $47 million player options in 2022, both of them. 
Eric Gordon, but speaking of terrible contracts, Eric Gordon may have the worst contract in the NBA. He signed through 2023 on a four-year, $52 million deal. Uh, last year, he shot 38% on 6.6 catch-and-shoot threes per game. This year, he took 5.9 catch-and-shoot threes. How? What do you guys think he shot on those catch-and-shoots? Bad. Bad. Uh, 28%. Wow. 28 fucking percent. If the Rockets don't win a championship, <laughs> which I don't think they will, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole thing was blown up because this owner is super cheap and we've all seen what he's done like with his businesses. He's furloughed a bunch of employees. And also, I think it would be totally ironic if Daryl Morey, the ultimate gambling general manager, got fired by an owner who owns a casino. I thought that would be <laughs> really, really just totally ironic. Poetic. But yeah, uh, no, I just think that this is probably the end of the line for the Rockets and I'm more so than any other team in the NBA. Like, Oh, and Robert Covington is on the books too, but yeah, I think they have, I know, I know they believe they can win. I know they really, they're the only team. They're the only people who believe they can win. And I love that they did the Capella trade and they were just like, fuck it. Like whatever, we're going to do it. And we're going to go all in on, Russell Westbrook being our point center, basically. It's just, he, he just, they open up the floor and he just attacks. And the numbers with him, (coughs) with him and Capella on the court, I was actually looking at them, are terrible offensively. They're like slightly better. They're 107.6 points per 100 possessions offensively, which is like slightly better than what the Cavs uh, offense is right now, which are, they're ranked 25th. So they're really never – they're not championship-level offense with Capella and Russ for whatever reason. Just the, there's no spacing there. They have a lot of shooting. They're going to shoot a lot of th- – we all know they're just going to do the same thing they did last year just with Russ there. And I looked at all the stats and stuff, and they run a lot more with Russ. They really do. They're fourth in pace this year. Russ takes the rebound and runs, just like he did in Oklahoma City. But I have a hard time believing that when the playoffs come and when the big possessions are there, it's just not going to be the same thing. It's not going to be dribble, dribble, dribble through Harden's legs, spread it out, and just exactly the same reason that they lost last year and the year before that. And I, I just don't – as much as I want to believe – I'd like to see Mike D'Antoni win a championship. I do like Mike D'Antoni. I don't buy that it's going to happen. Even I remember watching an interview with Kobe Bryant where they asked him, can James Harden's rocket style of basketball win a championship? And he said, no, he said, I think he said James Harden can win a championship. He's good enough, but not playing this way. And yeah, I don't see it working. And like I said, I think when they do lose, I think Maury and D'Antoni get canned and I wouldn't be surprised if Harden and Westbrook both got traded. Yeah, I, uh, I'm two things that like immediately come up into my mind. I imagine like when Tillman Fertitta goes to like the owners' meetings after, like he's just campaigning so hard. Like, you really sure we can't trade like consecutive years first round picks because like if the Rockets could go further all in, like they would. Um, and the other thing is like there's a part of me that kind of appreciates Daryl Morey's like smugness 
whenever he's questioned about these types of deals. He's like, yeah, well, like, you know, Russ's numbers and blah, blah, blah. And like, we really can use that second initiator that can break people off the dribble. And it's like, dude, like, no, like, this is not working. But, you know, he's always the smartest guy in the room. And I mean, but it kind of was working. Yeah. No, I'm not like killing. They were winning. Yeah, I'm we're winning. He's a he's just an interesting guy. And I just feel like um, but I agree with you. I think you know, if, if expectations don't go, um, where they want, there's going to be a lot of heads rolling. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, the Rockets are definitely a team that is like in the vice right now, just like kind of like waiting to see what happens. Yeah. The trade ultimately netted them Covington and Caboclo giving up Capella, Gerald Green in their first. They had Jordan Bell for a second, but then they announced yeah. who they flipped for Caboclo. So, like, when you think about the trade, I actually do think it did make sense getting um, Capella and Westbrook to stop sharing the floor. I mean, looking at their analytics before the trade and after the trade, they were they have a better net rating before the trade. They were playing slightly better <laughs> defense. Um, I think they're banking on – so, basically, they were a, a positive four net rating before the trade, offensive rating 113.5, defensive rating 19.5. And then after the trade, offensive rating 112.7, defensive 111.2 with a net rating of 1.5. So I essentially think like <coughs> what they're banking on is something that's not going to happen in the playoffs. They're banking on like teams coming at hard and hard and Russ being able to create it, whether it be from like a secondary ball hander standpoint where like if they send a double at hard and they can dump it off to Westbrook. That was one of my favorite times of the season when teams were just literally doubling Harden at half court. And he yeah. just like passed it off to Westbrook for a four on three, but um, I think what they're banking on is either Harden gets flaming hot from step back threes, which is just something we have never seen in the playoffs. Now one series has he been like, oh, he is cooking from three, it just hasn't happened. Or they're banking on Russ and transition, and transition just doesn't mean the same thing in the playoffs that it does in the regular season. I, I like they. I do think like Daryl and and I love this kind of like poker all in analogy with Fertitta but like I don't know what they were supposed to do like they were going to get flattened if they were playing Russ, Capella, Tucker, um, you know, Harden and like Daniel House in the in the playoffs like that just was not going to be a thing like there weren't a lot of moves to be made I think this one's like a little crazy and definitely people were not ready for this level of crazy but I, I've had a good time watching it uh, I don't think they ultimately make that much noise I think if they get the Jazz in the first round they'll get him again just because the Jazz can't beat them in the first round. Uh, or in any playoff series, not necessarily limited to the first round. But, yeah, I don't really know exactly, like, what they're expecting. And then you're right, Chip, about the moves that they can make after this. I mean, the only – literally the only thing they could do is package Tucker and Covington. And, like, what are you getting back for that? Because that's $20 million in salary. Like, are you getting a good player? No. Are you getting a good pick? Not really. Um, no. So like one or both. I, I didn't. I haven't even contemplated the scenario in which both go. That's kind of a galaxy brain for me. But like, I could definitely see one of them up in the market this summer. I mean, eighty million. Well, if they trade Harden, you. yeah. If they trade Harden, then Westbrook's gonna be like, "Get me out of here." Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and then who are they bringing in for Harden, like to help Harden if they? Uh, if they get yeah. Westbrook, I just don't know who moves the needle for him at this point. We've just kind of seen the same song and dance, you know, last four or five years, not really amounting to anything. Yeah. 
how many Hall of Famers is James Harden going to get to team right. up with? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the decline of Eric Gordon has been startling. I mean, he still does have the value of, like, people will contest his threes. Like, at least that's a thing for yeah. force spacing. But essentially what, like, they need is, is like, five out and, them, like, teams to not be able to figure out Harden, which, like, Harden has done a great job scoring in the playoffs in the past, but at a certain point, like, he just runs out of juice in the fourth quarter usually. And if the step-back threes start falling, I'm going to sound like such an idiot after saying that, but, like, I'm pretty confident in <laughs> What we've seen in the past, no. so, yeah. I think with he's the not going to get the whistle like usual. So, right. I think with the Rockets, right, when it comes to like why Daryl Morey did what he did, um, I think two things either happen with Daryl Morey. He either knows he's out of a job after the season, or he has like the utmost confidence and backing from Fertitta where he can make those type <laughs> of deals. But I think what really went stray was definitely that Chris Paul trade, like. We just did not – he did not see Chris Paul and James Harden just getting – having a riff at the end of last season and just not being, like, on the same page after making it to the Western Conference Finals and being a legit game away to going to the finals. Um, I think he just had to, like, quickly, like, correct the course. And at that point, it was just, like, getting rid of Chris Paul and bringing in Harden's boy Westbrook, who he probably wanted, who he probably asked for. And you had – you know, Maury saying, you know what, I got to do what I got to do to make my star happy. And then Capella wasn't fitting the bill this year. And I think at this point, it's just like he had to do what he had to do. And unfortunately, this is at the end of the road where there's, as you guys already pointed out, there's no more trade chips. There's the only thing that could happen is if they're willing to trade Harden and West for like a discounted price, you know. So this is just going to be an interesting series because they actually have to do something in order for this team to stay together and for everyone to be employed. But even if they come back next year, who do you bring back next year? You bring back the same team, a team that's we're going to watch just not be able to rebound because of the small ball lineup and just take a lot of threes. It doesn't really work. It doesn't sound like a good recipe for basketball and just like winning games. So it's going to be, you know, they better hope Harding gets hot as Brendan said, because he needs to get hot. Because it's not going to be Russ. Yeah, I mean, the I think one thing that rested Harden is going to be interested. It looks be thinner. Yeah, he looks thinner. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that Maury has shown us is like, if there's a trade out there, he'll that he wants to make, he'll find a way to make it. It doesn't matter like yeah. if it's good or it's bad. Like if it needs to get done, he can get it done. But at a certain point, I think his like kind of cachet has run out both from an asset standpoint and like it just a political cachet within the organization. Um, of course it's speculation, but like, I, you know, I just don't really see an avenue in which they're like, Hey, we're in cat purgatory for the next four years. Let's keep Daryl Morey on and see if he can continue to flip first rounders. So it, it does sort of feel like the time has run out, but again, yeah, you know, you never know. Sometimes you, you know, catch anyone on a given day and maybe Russ starts shooting, 35% for the first time in what feels like a millennia and yeah. and something crazy happens, but I don't have a lot of confidence in them. And just to show like how much little faith I have in this team, if we're looking at the stats right now, they start off the season averaging 46 and a half rebounds a game in October. Come March, granted it wasn't a full, you know, month. They went down to 39.6 rebounds. That's a stark stark and drastic drop and just like averaging rebounds. I don't just see, like you need to 
dominate on the glass. They can't dominate on the glass at all. Like offensively, they get lucky, but defensively, they just keep losing possession. So, not going to happen, in my opinion. Yeah, but they knew they were going to give up rebounding when they traded Capella. I think their their plan is to just be like play insanely aggressive defense and try and get. To, it's a. I'm not saying it's going to be a great plan, but I think they're going to try and force a lot of turnovers and win that way on defense. I, they knew they were giving up rebounding, but I mean, Maury even said they made the trade for to get Robert Covington. They've been trying to get Robert Covington for years yeah. on that team. <laughs> and they actually signed him from the G League in, in Covington's first contract. One of my yeah. favorite full circle things. Sounds like a Nixie in the story, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, except but, they got their guy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but even so, right, even with the drop of rebounding for five games, for yeah, five games went one and four. I just know it's not winning. It's not a winning brand of basketball. So we all know that, and we're just going to watch them just flame out. It has been weird to see eight and six since the trade, and they actually have like a pretty good record against the uh, like playoff teams in the West. Like the only losing record against playoff teams. Um, let me just double check that I have this right. They are one and two against Oklahoma City. Everyone else they're five hundred against in the West. It's just like still the feel, I don't know. And even those games when they were playing small ball, those were like fun to tune into just to see what the hell was going on. And they were just dropping easy games. I mean like the Knicks one infamously. Um it was just bizarre. You just had like no confidence that this was a sustainable strategy in the NBA past like maybe twenty games when everyone was surprised. I think Bill Simmons said it. It was like everyone's just like shocked by you, someone going small ball. No one's really ready to keep it with that style of pace. But then once you're able to figure it out, it's just kind of like, all right, that was easy. You know, it's like the Wildcat and like the NFL. The one good season of the Wildcat, and then next thing you know, it's like, oh, we got this. Don't worry. It's yeah. Not this. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, they're such an interesting team for a lot of different reasons, but. I kind of secretly root for them here and there, um, just because I, I I know Harden gets a lot of heat, um, but we'll we'll see how they do. Did you guys have any kind of uh, honorable mentions that could have made this list? I know when I was thinking, uh, an, an obvious one that comes to my mind is the Lakers, uh, just because any team with LeBron that comes short of a championship is typically going to look different the next year and you know LeBron has had famous run-ins with coaches and he certainly did not at the very least give his blessing or was not um doesn't seem like consulted too much with the the Frank Vogel hire maybe he was but um so I you know I I thought about them you know in, in some kind of uh vein for this topic were there any other teams that you guys thought of yeah, I was thinking a little bit about the Pelicans. You know, I think they've certainly seen enough. And the reason I didn't pick them is because it's purely of the guys under the guise of the Brandon Ingram restricted free agency that's coming up. Um, just like, have they seen enough from him? Because someone is going to throw him a fat offer sheet if it gets to that. Um, and like, they would be put in a precarious situation to match. Uh, of course, then you like take one look at the Pelicans, and since Zion has come back, you're like, wait a second, this team is insane. Um, so, like, ultimately, not that interesting, but I, I am like keeping an eye on that. There were some rumblings about Ingram to the Knicks. I think he's way too good for them to let him walk in RFA. Um, 
but that's also just like an interesting team to watch like how far can they get with all these like the talk of like the nba kind of putting things in their favor and seeing you know if like there's the zion path but um yeah i I am curious to see if they can make some noise you know especially in any sort of play in series i'm excited for that chip alex any other teams you guys thought of yeah, I would have said the Lakers because of LeBron, but I think the Clippers have a lot of pressure on them too. I do. Oh, yeah. I think that both those teams, their window isn't uh, big. It's uh, definitely small. Uh, with, for the Lakers, it's because LeBron is older. I mean, even LeBron's going to age at some point. He is a cyborg, but eventually he's going to look different. And for the Clippers, it's Kawhi and Paul George are on short contracts by design. So they got to win, and they got to win soon. If they don't win this year, then it's a must-win year next year if they want to keep those guys. So they'd rather win this year so they have some security for next year. Uh, and I think they're the more complete team, the Clippers. They have the better roster. But if I, had, if I was betting on the finals, I would, just, I would bet the Lakers because LeBron looks so amazing yeah. this year. And Davis is awesome. They've been such a great pairing, and they have more time together than Kawhi and George have had. So I think there's more pressure on the Clippers because LeBron and AD just seem so in sync with each other, and they're so tight off the court too. And we talked about this before, Jeff. Kawhi and Paul George don't have that type of friendship. They just kind of seemed like an inorganic partnership that came together to win a title. So I think there's more pressure on those guys, Uh, more pressure on George in particular, because he actually doesn't have a title yet. But yeah, I, I would say Clippers. I, I would probably go with like the Lakers or, you know, probably them just as what you said off with LeBron. I was thinking about the Mavericks just because like you have like a interest now that you have KP and everyone else, like you have Hardaway from like last year, you want to see what they can actually do as a full on roster with Luca. But I don't think there's necessarily that much pressure. But I think what you do want to see is like some sort of like competition coming out with you traded. Not necessarily, you didn't trade a lot to get KP. I think, I think us as Nick fans, we see that the Mavericks won that trade by a, by a country mile. So, but they did max them out. They, they did, did max him. They did max him out, but you and you want to see, and that's where I'm going with this. Is that because you max him out, is that you want to see some sort of like semblance of like a competitive team moving forward? So you want to see at least like it depends how they play in the first round. I'd say like they lost in the first round. It's not like terrible, but if you don't even get six, seven games out of them, and they just kind of like fizzle out, it's going to be a lot of questions for the following season. Because I don't see KP. I think KP's like ceiling is like coming very quickly. I don't see him being able to go that much farther and you're going to have him and Luca together ideally right for the next four years well, what did he sign the five did he sign five years or did he sign uh I think KP's was five years yeah so you got five years with KP and you're going to keep Luca, who's probably going to get five years you're going to have a long time with those two guys and Luca's going to want Luca's definitely got to get paid so you have to figure out how you're going to structure a roster around them. You want to see at least that what you invested in KP, he can actually be a good second option to Luca. Yeah, I think uh, I think all of those teams are, are worth discussing for sure. And I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up. Um, as as any fan, uh, we're all awaiting the NBA restart, and I'm sure these teams are definitely going to be on the radar. 
and um, there's going to be a lot of chess pieces in movement if things don't really work out uh, the way that these teams want. So it'll be very interesting to see how how they kind of pan out going forward. Um, really good pod uh, as always, uh, Alex, Brendan. Uh, thank you guys for coming on, Brendan. I know this is your first time on the pod. Awesome to ha- have you. Um, if you want to plug anything that you're working on or tell all the good people where they can find uh, your work at Nick's Wall, your Twitter handle, uh, please go for it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, follow the Nick's Wall at the Nick's Wall on Twitter. Uh, you can see some of my writing there. I'll also be posting articles from my Twitter account, which is at Campbell underscore Soup3, uh, the most original name on Twitter. Um, and yeah, it's something I'll plug. I have a piece coming out next week. So if this is apologies if you're in the broader NBA fan base and not a Knicks fan, but, uh, I have something coming out next week. I'm going to be writing about Theo Pinson and Harper, the Knicks, uh, new signees, uh, which probably just, you may as well just shut off the, the audio. If you just heard me say <laughs> that, you're, uh, you're a fan of, like the Clippers or something, but, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been quite a delight. Absolutely, for sure, man. Alex, how about yourself? Anything coming up in the near future? Um, well, to plug, you can check out my recent stuff for Hoops Habit on uh, the coaching candidates for the Knicks. Um, if you just want more of like an in-depth feel of why Tibbs is going to be the Knicks head coach, please take a read. Um, you can find me. Most of my stuff will be at Hoops Habit. Uh, like I said, in the past, got some other projects working on. I really can't discuss it right now. But if you want to just follow me on Twitter, uh, hopefully you all enjoy me. Follow me at Tridecaster101 on Twitter. Of course, of course, absolutely. We'll definitely be on the lookout for those projects for sure. Um, I'm sure the four of us will do this again in the, in the not-so-distant uh, future for sure. I think we would all enjoy that. To anyone listening, thanks for listening. Everybody be safe, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.